Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for the gift of your grace that is spoken through the words of forgiveness, for the reconciliation and the restoration of those relationships with one another and with you. Or that by hearing the words, I forgive you, that we may be released from the bondage of sin, that we may be free to serve you. As we ask today that you would break your words small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. So as we have begun the last two weeks with the Red Letter Challenge, we have identified these five principles that kind of speak out through the red letters, the words of Jesus. These principles being being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. And as we tackle a different one each week, we dive in a little bit deeper to what Jesus says. It is particularly poignant. When we talk about Jesus speaking in terms of forgiveness, because when we think of forgiveness, we often think of it in terms of the words themselves and not always the weight that they carry, the way that they lift the chains from our shoulders and lay them at his own feet. We see the way that Jesus enters into the temple courts And he immediately sees this scene transpiring where there is a marketplace in the midst of the temple. And we see the way that he is angered. The temple, this place where the people of God come to receive forgiveness for their sins, where they make sacrifices to atone for their sin has become a marketplace. In other words, the price of God's forgiveness has literally been reduced to what they charge for a pigeon or a ram or whatever the sacrifice du jour is. So, of course, he responds by overturning their tables and taking a whip and flogging the money changers. And we would say, where is the forgiveness? What does that have to do with forgiveness? And the answer is, in fact, everything. There is no price that we can put 
on the grace of God that will ever justify the value that it has in our lives. When I was in high school, a friend of mine and I went to a Chinese buffet for dinner. And while we were there, we had gone and they had these kind of interesting seafood pieces on the buffet line. And if you've been to Missouri, you know that seafood is either flown in frozen or it comes out of the muddy river. So it was already questionable. And I kind of in jest said, wouldn't it be funny if we took some of this stuff and hid it in Nathan's car? And I just left it there. I just kind of said the words. They didn't think they had any consequence. And when I went up to get my next plate, he had shoved all of these things into his pockets. And later that night, as we were driving around, he sat in the back seat and very quietly packed them in underneath the seat cushions and up underneath the front seats. And then we left town. We were planning to anyway, but we left town, and our friend left his car back home. And the next day, he received a call from his sister, and she said, I think I spilled some milk in the car. And we kind of went. <laughs> so he never caught on that day, and the next day, she called, and she says, it's gotten worse. And I parked it in the garage and I left the doors open, which is the worst thing you can do because it's twice as hot inside the garage as it would be outside. And by this point, we are just in tears. And he finally catches on that we're up to something. And we explain what we've done and we still have a full day to go before we get home. So by the time we get home and he goes to clean this now liquefied seafood out of the cushions in his seat, his mother grabbed me by the collar and said, what were you thinking? And I said, I didn't do anything. And she said, well, you know that if you say, wouldn't it be funny if, that Tony's going to think, yeah, and he's going to do it. So they promptly tried to get the smell out of their car. They tried everything. We even paid to have it detailed, and it still never came clean and they eventually sold the car. Now, by that point, it had been doused with about four or five gallons of Febreze and whatever else we could find to conceal the smell for a time. But I say that to say this. No matter how hard we try to hide our sin. It will always be revealed. And in this case, the guy that bought the car wouldn't actually know what was in there until it got hot again. 
and he couldn't figure out where the smell came from. And now it was his problem, and instead of dealing with it, by not doing it at all, he just passed it on down the road. The weight that forgiveness bears within our life is such that when we commit an offense against someone else or against God, that we are compelled to seek out restoration, to seek out forgiveness through the gospel, to make amends. And when we don't, then that sin, that offense, it becomes a poison within our own body and within our relationships, and then it gets passed on to those around us. And the stench of our sin becomes unwieldy. We don't like to look under the cushions, certainly not of our own car, certainly not of someone else's. But you're more likely to sit in someone else's car and say, man, something stinks in here than you are to sit in your own and realize, maybe there's something wrong with my car. Maybe there's something that I need to clean out. Maybe we've become nose blind. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says that there is no one righteous, not even one. Outside of Christ, we are poor, miserable sinners. But if we can't let go of the past, we can never grab a hold of the future. When those things which we have done bind us to the past and the present and they fix our feet firmly in one place in time, then it prevents us from ever being able to move forward. The clearest picture of all comes from God through Christ Jesus himself, a man who stands on trial for a crime he did not commit, who is convicted of an offense that did not belong to him and who is ultimately condemned to die for the sake of someone else. But rather than stand in the midst of these people and call down the legion of angels that we have spoken of before, he just simply takes it. And even more so as he hangs upon the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The reality is, is that as people, we are exceedingly great at finding new ways to take our own lives. 
physically, they knew exactly what they were involved in. They knew the most efficient ways to inflict the maximum amount of pain for the greatest length of time. And they chose to demonstrate that at the cross. They knew full well what they were doing, and yet, what could Jesus mean? when he asks his father to forgive them? Do they know that they are killing the son of God? Do they know that the man upon the cross has done no wrong? Do they care? The reality is that it wouldn't have mattered. That this was the plan that God had set forth to show that even those that commit the worst acts imaginable are still worthy of God's forgiveness. As Jesus is in the temple courts again, the Pharisees bring a woman to him that has been caught in adultery. They parade her in and they stand her before the group, never mind that the man that she was supposedly caught with is not mentioned at all and is absent from this narrative. And they come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and in the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone women for sins such as this. Now, what say you? And the text says that now knowing that they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing them. There was no good answer that could be given that would have satisfied either party. And it was clear that this elaborate plan had been in the works for quite some time. And rather than speak anything at all, Jesus bends down and places his finger into the dirt and begins to write in the ground while they continue to question him. Now here they think they've got him. They've got him right where they want him. He is squarely within their crosshairs, and they're about to pull the trigger so that they have justification for taking his life. Because if he commits blasphemy, then they've got carte blanche authority. You can imagine that the woman is cowering in the midst of these men. Not happy with his lack of response, they continue to push him as he straightens up and says to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. 
At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, it's fascinating here what the Word of God includes. Very pointedly, it notes that the older men were the ones who left first. They were the ones who were to feel the conviction first. Now, there is a great number of theories that we could speculate on all day as to what he was writing in the dirt. He could have been writing their sins or their names. He could have been drawing goldfish. For all we know, we don't have a clue. But what we do know is that whatever it was, it was impactful enough that it caused these teachers of the faith to walk away in shame. A lot of people think that we need to come to Jesus with our best. We need to be prepared to give him the best of what we have to offer. We need to make sure that we have everything in place. Our Sunday dress is as it should be, and it's fashionable, and we're not here, but in some places they wear Sunday hats, and it's quite a to-do. And the reality is, is that the brokenness that we conceal keeps us from being able to forgive ourselves and receiving the forgiveness that God gives to us. As the men have all dispersed and walked away, Jesus looks up to the woman and says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. But neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The one man that could have evenly cast a stone against her instead chooses to place his hand in the same dust that man was crafted out of. So as not to come to condemn, but rather to save. Not to declare her guilty, but to set her free. We know John 3.16 John 3, well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But what is the next verse? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. At this point, the woman's sin has been exposed. Everything 
that she had tried to keep in the shadows has been thrust into the light, and it is no longer a secret. Everyone can see this shame that she bears. Jesus simply says, I have not come to condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Can you hear the rattling of the chains as they are broken from her ankles and freed from around her neck? And as she is now set forth, to walk liberated into the world, no longer bound by her sin. This has been a big week. As we dig into the chapter of being, it has challenged us to Consider the way that we engage with God's word and the way that God's word is present in and amongst us, even using Ezekiel to remind us the way that he calls upon Ezekiel to actually eat the scroll. As Ezekiel says that the words tasted like honey upon his tongue and he inwardly digested. We have been given a foundation, one that grounds us in something that is greater than ourselves, one that as we share in God's grace, when we share the forgiveness with others, we speak not our own forgiveness, but his. But if we simply leave it right there, if we simply end with saying, we are forgiven and now we can go and sin boldly because we have God's grace upon our back, we miss the point. Not only does God call us to confess our sins, but he actually calls us to kill them to die to the old Adam within us, as Luther would say, and to rise as a new man through baptism, clothed in Christ, a new creation. So that when we seek God's forgiveness, it's not just for this particular sin, but it's actually for all of the possibilities that we can sin in the same way in the future. Lord, help me make amends for my sinful life. Help me, a poor, miserable sinner, to walk your path of righteousness. As we continue to put Jesus' words into practice, we find him We find his presence within the words that he speaks to us when we hear them through the voice of others. 
whether it's through the pastor as we speak and say, Almighty God has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all of your sins, or in a more simpler way, when we simply say it to one another within our relationships. So that when we stand and we marvel at the way that God has reconciled and restored even the most broken of sinners, We know that God gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.